Welcome to the official Titans podcast, the OTP. I'm Mike Keith with Amy Wells. Hello, Mike. Ma'am. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, that's good. Getting uh, closer to football season, closer to training camp, and so we're joined by Titans defensive coordinator Dean Pease. Thank you for coming down the hall and joining us. <laughs> well, th- thanks for having me. It's not that far. It is convenient to your office. Oh, it was great. There was a few steps when I was here. Yeah, so actually the studio is... Our wall is right up against your office. Do you ever hear us making racket in here? Not too bad. That's good. No. We no. soundproofed it we for soundproofed a reason. We it just for defensive coordinator <laughs> Dean Peace, who had one of the great experiences this past spring. You spoke at your university spring commencement at Bowling Green, correct? I did. It was a great honor. It was very humbling. I was... Uh, were you Sh- nervous? Shocked that they asked me. My all my brothers and sisters uh, think that they didn't check my transcripts before they asked me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it was a great experience. I really wasn't that nervous. I really had a great time and uh, um, tried to not give a speech. Tried to give more of a talk, uh, and so it was it was fun. You know, I've always wondered about the process people go through because that is a big talk that you gave. I mean. People, do you remember who spoke at your graduation? Yes, one of Tennessee's senators spoke at my graduation. See, people will remember this. What process did you go through to decide what you were going to say? Well, I just wanted to talk to him because I think everybody gives that same candid speech about working hard and ethic and setting goals and doing all those things. I kind of wanted to be a little different in that because they've really done all those things when they graduate. I mean, you've worked hard to get there. You set a goal to graduate. You did all those things. You obviously have pretty good work ethic. Um, I just wanted to talk to him about people not ever putting a label on you and really telling you you can't do something when you can or ever stereotyping you for being a certain person and don't let your and also don't let your um, occupation or your job define who you are um, so it was a, it was my wife's idea but I, the speech was only about eight minutes long and then I played the piano for the group. That is so cool. And so I wrote a song, especially for the graduating class, and I dedicated it to them, and I just said that, you know, obviously, you guys all think I'm 47-year veteran football coach, that I don't have any other interests in life, and well, I, I do. Music is a very big interest in my life, and so uh, I wrote them a song. When did you start playing piano? We had to. Everybody <laughs> in my family, all eight of us kids, had to take lessons for at least a year. And uh, that was kind of another lead-in in the in the graduation speech was that uh, my mom, you know, the, the example was is that, you know, you sit down, your parents and your mom always fixes you something to eat when you're a little kid. And it's going to be broccoli or asparagus or something that you sure. don't like. But she's going to say, try it, you might like it. Well, kind of that's really kind of been my goal in life is really from my mom teaching me that. And so when I played the piano... I didn't take lessons very long. We all the boys quit because we all wanted. To, we all thought we were great athletes, so we all quit. But the truth is, I really liked it, and I've always felt like it has been another side of me that I can go home and play the piano, put on my headset, and play that, and get away from football, where football is fast-paced, stressful, all this kind of stuff. Well, 
you know, if you literally look at athletes, they walk around with headsets on all the time, right? And the music's a big part of their life, really, in some ways. I just, my different differences with me is I play it, I can't read music, so I learned how to write it. I just kind of, I know, I know, it looks, <laughs> I know that sounds, that's fascinating. It sounds kind of funny because I just, uh, I started kind of really learning how to chord and just kind of, it's gonna progressed and I've actually got copyrights to almost 30 songs. Do you really? Yeah. D- wow. How much do you practice now? How much do you like to play per week? And I know it varies in season, but, but you know, given the opportunity, how much do you like to? It's, it's just hard for me, too, because I get home so late and I got to get to bed so I can get back up in here and get in here in the morning. So, you know, I, I hardly I never write anything during the season. I just play stuff that I've already written. And the only way I can play it, I can't put it on sheet music. I don't know how to write it down. It's just in my head. So I go back and I'll play certain songs. I've written songs for all my daughter's weddings. Um, my wife has about eight songs to, for her. Um, but I've written for everybody in my family. All my my mom, my dad, everybody. I just saw Rocket Man. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have seen it. The Elton John story. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and I mean, his relationship with Bernie Taupin, who wrote writes lyrics and Elton John writes the music and he would just hear things and be able to you know repeat them are you like that well uh, i'm not saying compare yourself uh, to Elton John are you you Elton John (laughs) for a lot of us we the reason i ask the question is for a lot of us we can't imagine hearing something and 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 then being able to just sit down and play it well, you I don't get know. that. I don't know. It's that so much. I I probably could if it took me a while. Okay. But but it's easier for me to actually write a song, because I'll just sit down and just start playing, and then I'll get a feel for what I really, the mood that I'm in. I, I don't really know how to explain it, Mike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest with you, I just can, and I can sit down and write a song in ten minutes. And then on other times I'm with not with the in, lyrics too. And, no, I never do any lyrics. This okay. is all musical. Okay. I, I don't I don't sing. I don't do any lyrics at all. But I can sit down if I'm in the right mood. I can write a song in ten minutes. And then if I'm not in the mood, then I just get, I don't even try because I'm just not in the mood. All right. Well, let me ask. You, I hate to hog this. No, but I'm, please. I'm fascinated right ahead. by this. I can see your face. You know, we're in Nashville. You may be aware of that. <laughs> there's some music. There's a little music here. Have you thought about collaborating with somebody who could do some lyrics and maybe trying to, to write us? I mean, just to, to see if you could do something commercial in that way in this town? Has that crossed your mind? Well, here's the thing about that. Um, I, I've, th- I've thought about that actually over the years in a lot of ways, uh, even before I got to Nashville. But I don't want anybody to ever think that that, is something I'm trying to do commercially away from the job that I've been hired to okay. do as a defensive coordinator. Because I've always felt like, okay, you know, if if things didn't go well, well, you spend more time on the music and he should be spending more time on football. And I've never wanted those two to, to conflict. You know, this is... I think this you're all a, right now, a, though. I think we know how hard you work. Well, I know. I and mean, maybe after I retire, officially actually do retire, maybe I'll do it. But it's just always been... I never wanted anybody to think that, sure. that my job, I'm, I'm here to do my job the best of my ability. And music also is something that is kind of uh, relaxing to me, and I don't know that I want it to ever be a stressful situation that I have to do it or that I have to do it, 
you know, that's why maybe after I retire, I don't. It really doesn't matter whether somebody likes it or doesn't like it. What I've thought about doing is, at some point in time, is maybe after I retire, is give a bunch of these songs to somebody downtown that actually could give me a daggone good opinion and just say, look, if you don't like it, it's no big deal. It's, it's not what I do. If you do like it, hey, if you want to do something with it, great. If you don't want to do something with it, that's great, too. It, it would matter. be cool to hear your song on the radio, though. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, uh, I know that. Yeah, not even just for the money, but just to say, here's another mountain. That hey, I that's my song. Right. Well, it's that like they are, they are not as watching TV, and they got this new show on called The Songwriters or right. something mm-hmm. like that. And I was thinking how neat that would be to have somebody, you know, end up doing, you know, one of your songs or something like that, even if they changed it a little bit, knowing that it was your song. That would that'd be cool. But, but I also just have, I've never wanted anybody to think that. You know, I'm not here to do my job and as a defense coordinator, any place that I've ever been. But goodness, the creativity that is required to write a song or compose music or anything like that, it has to show up in your work, that creativity. Is that what has made you such a successful defensive coordinator? I don't know. I just, I think, um, you know, God blessed me with the ability to play the piano. That's all I can tell you. I, I don't know why I can do it or necessarily how I do it. It just it comes to me. Um, I think it's kind of from my genes to my mom, my grandma. They could all play. All my sisters could play. Um, I just I liked it, so I kind of kept with it. Even though I didn't take lessons, I kept with it. But I think the football part of it is really more of a work ethic that I really learned from growing up on the farm in Ohio of learning how to work hard. Don't expect anything from anybody. You know, you you uh, get what you deserve you know earn it the hard way and uh, I've loved every job that I've ever had I think that's been the biggest key in my career is the fact that I've never looked for the next job ever and you've never been fired I've never been fired and I've never interviewed wow every job I've ever gotten has been somebody recommended me for that job to somebody else and they called me and I never met Nick Saban I'd never met Lou Holtz I never met any of those people. Um, I had met Bill Belichick because I'd worked with his father. Sure. But all those guys had just called me and said, hey, this guy recommended you, and we really believe in that guy, and if he recommends you, you know, you got the job. I've never, uh, like I say, and I've never, you know, never been, you know, let go. So uh, I've just uh, been very... Uh, been very lucky that way. How different is Dean Pease, Titans defensive coordinator, from Coach Pease at Elmwood High School in Bloomdale, Ohio, back in the late 70s? I hope none, uh, because I think, you know, I, uh, hopefully I've been a good teacher. Uh, to me, that's being a good coach. Um, everybody can have a title coach, you know, and guys that sometimes guys that played get frustrated as a coach because they can't understand why somebody can't do it. They're, they're so gifted that they can't really, they get frustrated with players that can't just backpedal and do this stuff and transition and do all these things because it was natural to them. Trust me, it was never natural to me. So, and then when you start out in high school, it's not natural to hardly any of those guys. So you had to learn to teach them. 
you got what you got. We didn't draft anybody when you're in high school. You didn't recruit anybody in high school. You have what you have. So you got to learn to teach them and do the best that you can. Well, if you keep, just think about that. If you, if you now have a gifted athlete and you teach him in the same way that you taught a guy that wasn't a gifted athlete, aren't you really doing that guy a great service by teaching him that way rather than presuming that the fact that he already knows how to do it? Don't don't ever. I mean, even when I had Ray, I mean, I you know I, Ray Lewis at Baltimore. I mean, I'll walk in there and go, "This is Ray Lewis. What am I going to teach this guy?" The truth of it is, there is some stuff you can teach him. There's a lot I learned from him too, but there's also don't be afraid to tell him what your opinion is. And I, there was a couple times Ray looked at me and said, "I never thought of that." I'm going, "Wow," you know. But then there's a lot of things Ray told me too that I said, "Geez, I never thought of that." And same way with my coach Mike at New England. It was the same way. Smartest player I've ever coached is, is Mike Vrabel. And, you know, I learn stuff from him, but I also hope and think that he learns some things from me. And so I, I don't think there's a lot of difference, Mike. I hope when I stand up in front of the room, I, I hope if a guy from Elmwood High School walked in there, go, yeah, that's the same guy I knew. What was your subject? Well, I started out in English, but I didn't. I didn't like that too. <laughs> when I, Great when I, all the papers. Uh, well, yeah, that was, that was way too much work. And then, uh, but actually, I I ended up going to PE because what I could do is I could get all the football players in there and lift all the time. No, oh. I can't imagine. <laughs> Tail is all this I'm time. I'm so glad you said that because with all the, the stuff about education and piano and I mean, you just. You just almost came across as too cultured. So yeah. thank you for finally. <laughs> well, thank I also you for have a Harley Davidson motorcycles. That makes you feel well, yeah, better. There, so you there, you <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, but I just I think it's so great though because I think about my teachers in high school, and and some of them I'm actually friends with now, which is crazy to me. But they they meant so much from the standpoint of yeah, they taught me you know stuff in class and whatever but they taught me more things about how to learn about how to be organized about how to act in certain situations you know they they guide you and when you have those sorts of relationships with people as a coach particularly with pro players that's so valuable what did Kenny Vaccaro tell us about Dean Peach oh yeah of course I mean that's you know that's the the to me the ultimate compliment is that connection that you make with a teacher what did he say (laughs) <laughs> he, he said you've got that first of all that one of the primary reasons he came back was you because you're the first guy who's ever basically played him at safety and just let him play safety you do a lot of things with him but he's a safety so he feels like he can be his best and the fact that you just sort of get him yep and that you kind of get one another he told us that in an interview and I just think that that's that teacher part of it is is the really great teachers get you and they, they form that connection to where whatever you're doing, they can make you better. And that doesn't change, whether it's high school or the NFL. No, it really doesn't. It, you know, it really is all about people. And everybody learns different. Sure. And everybody doesn't have the same background. And so the thing of it is, is learning how to adapt to everybody. And when you're in high school, when you're a teacher in high school, you got all kinds of kids from all different kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of things. Everybody doesn't learn the same, but it's your job as a teacher to get them all to the same ending point. Okay, well, that's the same job that we have here. Bottom line is to get them to the ending point of playing good defense and winning football games. And so everybody doesn't learn the same. And I think the other part of it is, is people generally, and players especially, at all levels know if you genuinely care about them other than just being a football player. If all you care about is, 
hey, just I, trust me, I want to win every every football game. But I also some of the the best feelings I have is when guys call me back that I coached in college and say they're doing very successful in life outside of the NFL. Or I appreciate this coach. You know, you helped me get through college and you gave me a scholarship and we graduated and I'm doing this. Those, those are things that mean just as much to me. And that also makes you feel like, okay, well, I taught him something other than in life or other than just football. Well, being a teacher, you are being recognized for all of your accomplishments. And I think a lot of that is all of the people that you've been able to teach over the years. You're being inducted into the Ohio High School Football Coaches Association Hall of Fame. It's their 50th Hall of Fame class. What does something like that mean to you, that honor, that recognition? That, uh, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> uh, when they called me last year and told me that, uh, uh, I kind of lost it a little bit because, you know, growing up in Ohio, everybody kind of thinks their state's the best, obviously. But growing up in Ohio, Ohio high school football is big. And especially back when I grew up in the 60s, it was really big. And, um, you know, just to kind of think about going out in the barnyard and <laughs> kicking the football over the top of uh, the swing set and thinking <laughs> I was Lou Groza or somebody, you know, and just – you know, in the playing in the backyard and thinking I was Raymond Berry catching a pass or as Johnny United's throwing a pass or, you know, one of those guys. It's just then playing high school football in Ohio and then going, you know, to college in Ohio, all that stuff. It's just um, I just have so many friends and so many connections back there. It's just I was overwhelmed by it. I'm, I'm just uh, really humbled by it. Well, was it Miami of Ohio was the cradle of coaches? Yep. Wasn't that mm -hmm. what they used to call it? Yeah. Yeah. So I had... Uh, Started out at the University of Finley there in Ohio, and then Miami of Ohio, and I coached at the University of Toledo in Ohio, head coach at Kent State in Ohio. So I've recruited a lot of Ohio kids and know almost every, been in probably almost every high school in the state. When you got the Kent State job as the head coach, might have been one of the worst programs in the country, and certainly it was in bad, bad shape. And you got it built back, you had it in good shape. And then you decided to, to leave and try Pro Bowl. I've always been intrigued because you could have, I mean, you absolutely could have stayed. They were clearly pleased with the direction. And you said, I want to try something different. What led you to do that? Well, I had actually had an opportunity earlier than that. But, you know, having six kids in our family um, really have had three of our kids graduated from Kent State. Okay. And the youngest daughter, Taryn, was actually a volleyball player there at Kent State. And so it was great to, you know, not only see the kids there at school, but also to kind of watch her play volleyball. And uh, I just felt like at that time, all the kids were out of the nest. They were all out of college. They'd all gotten through college. Um, it's kind of like back to that old saying, hey, try it. You might like it. You know, I'd done, loved high school football, loved it. But then I got offered an opportunity in college, and I said, well, I'll try it. If I don't like it, I'll go back to high school. And so I thought, well, hey, I'll try the NFL. If I, don't, I mean, I'm 50-some years old at the time I do this. It wasn't like it happened overnight. And I thought, you know, I think I got a good enough reputation that if I don't like the NFL, I can go back into college somewhere. But you're a head coach. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't everybody, I mean, theoretically, everybody wants to be the head Not coach? Not all it's cracked okay. up to be. Yeah. <laughs> what was the worst part about it? You, you don't, you're not a coach half the time. You know, that's the part you're, you're talking to alumni, you're raising money, you're recruiting, right. you're doing all these things. 
organizational meetings, just all this kind of stuff. It's really hard to do all that and really be deep down into football. And you also got a different rapport with the players. You know, when you're the head coach, you, you know, you're, you're, you're the principal. You know, you're, you're the guy that got to go to the office. That you got to make a lot of tough, tough decisions. And, you know, it's part of the reason why I kind of never had any interest in this league of doing that because I don't, I don't want to cut somebody. I really, I, I, that's got to be the toughest job in the world for a head football coach to sit there and cut a guy that you love. I mean, he, it, he probably needs to be cut, but it's hard. Sure. I, I, I look at that guy in the eye, I didn't want to do that. And college was a little different because you're recruiting the guys, but it was the same way. You're always dealing with the discipline problems. You're dealing with all that stuff. I just, I just like coaching ball. I want to be around the players. I want to be around the coaches. I want to do X's and O's and have fun with the guys and enjoy them. And sometimes as the head coach, you're, you're the tough guy. You know, we've been talking a lot about teachers, but who were some of your teachers? Who were some of the people who influenced you throughout your career as a coach? Well, there's there was basically a couple of high school coaches, and it's kind of funny you ask me that because, you know, everybody kind of sees the where I've been, and they see Lou Holtz, and they see Bill Belichick, and they see Nick Saban. You see all those names, Gary Pinkle. But really, probably two, three of the guys that are probably the most influential in my life are going to actually be at this Hall of Fame thing for me is my old high school coach who's retired in Florida. He's coming back. Uh, toughest man I've ever known. I mean, we went undefeated on a football high school football team with 25 players. Whoa. 25 players. You're kind of the junction boy. <laughs> well, because well, everybody quit because he was so daggone mean and tough. But I really learned a lot from him doing that. I mean, you, you had to go through hard. I mean, you had to want to do it. And it, it's, I loved that. And then I coached for a guy named Dick Strom, who's in the Hall of Fame, College Hall of Fame. He's the head coach at University of Finley. He's got four national championships. People don't know that name maybe all across America, guy's phenomenal coach. And I'd lost my dad early on. My dad really didn't get a chance to ever see me coach. And so Dick kind of became, in a way, a little bit of a father figure for me. And then I went to Miami, Ohio, and coached for a guy named Tim Rose, who I just, uh, there's, I've never been around somebody that just loved football more than that guy. And so all those guys, coupled with all the guys that I've worked for, Mike, John Harbaugh, Lou, all those guys, Nick, they've, they all, I've all learned a little something from all of them, but one of the things I kind of learned early on is just to be your own person. Don't try to be them. Don't try to be Nick Saban. Don't try to be Lou Holtz. You're not. You're never going to be them. So just be yourself. Take what you like and uh, use it. What's the one similarity between all of those coaches that you see that relates directly to their success? All the names you've thrown out. There's got to be one trait that you can name off the top of your head that every one of them has. Detail. Detail. They're all detailed. There's nothing left out there kind of gray. You know, it's it's like if there's a problem, okay, what is the problem? How do we solve the problem? What do you do? It's not like scave over it and move on to something else. It's we're going to fix that thing before we go to the next thing, and they're very detailed in what they do they're very organized everything is detailed whether it be recruiting whether it be x's and o's mike is very much that way he was that way as a player that's why i knew he was going to be a great coach when he became a coach he is detailed we're not going to leave something hanging out there it's we're going to answer it and we're going to be detailed about it and that's what they all have in common 
I want to ask you about Mike's first year because I've been around several first-year coaches myself in a variety of sports. I don't know that I've ever been around a first-year coach who is as natural in the process as Mike Vrabel. Have you seen one that, that sort of stacks up in that way? I guess I'm asking you to agree or disagree with what I'm saying, but at the same time asking a second part is if you agree, are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I don't think I would, Mike, I would compare him to anybody because I don't think I'd be fair to sure. ever make a comparison. But here's what I'd say about Mike as I'm not surprised because I think Mike, in his own way, when he was a player and when I had him at New England, was already programming himself to be a football coach and to probably be a head football coach. I don't think that he probably said, oh, well, I'm going to be a head coach at this particular time or on this team or anything like that. I think he knew I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to probably be defensive coordinator, but someday want to be a head coach. I think he has programmed himself and planned this all the way along. And I think he knew before he ever got here, here's how I'm going to run the ship. Here's how I want to do it. This is the way that I want to do it. I've learned from Belichick and I've learned from – probably O'Brien and, and Urban Meyer and all those guys, here's how I want to do it. And he d- knew how he wanted to do it. And I think that's why it's natural. It's not like, you know, when guys come in, sometimes they start feeling their way, mm-hmm. saying, oh, I, geez, I wasn't ready for that. Ooh, I wasn't ready for the draft. I really, you know, you start. And so it kind of looks a little awkward. I think in his case, here's I'm paying attention to this because when I become a head coach, here's how I'm going to do it. And that's why he's so detailed. And the other part of it is he is a guy that there's a bunch of talented NFL players out there that can't necessarily be coaches. They're talented and they're good players. He's a guy that worked hard at everything that he got. And it that's the way he coaches, too. He just he expects that out of us as coaches. He expects that out of his players. He expects everybody to play the way he played. Tough, hard, smart. That's what he wants. So his success that he had in his first year, and I say success by measuring a bunch of different things, not just the success that the Titans had on the field, but him as a coach overall had a, I think we can all say, a successful first year. Absolutely. Does that surprise you at all? It didn't surprise you in the least bit. Not a bit. Not because I mean, you guys bit. dealt with a lot of stuff. You had some weird things. I mean, happen. from the first game on, and then your situation that came up in Indianapolis and other injuries, and and all sorts of strange things happened, and yet the team just I mean kept rolling. You're you're in it until the fourth quarter of the last game with your backup quarterback going up against the hottest team in the NFL, and you've got the ball with a chance to tie the game. Right. I, like I say, I'm I'm not surprised because Mike handles that stuff he handles adversity um um, you know i just think his experience as a player too it plays a a big role in that you know there's been ups and downs there was a heck of a lot of ups when he was a player at new england but uh you know leaving the steelers going to new england i mean you know there's just he knows how the nfl works He, he just does and and uh i just think he's I'm 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 just not surprised at, at anything. And be honest with you, I wouldn't have joined him. I wouldn't have come out of retirement if I didn't think that about him. Well, and you're someone who has 
enough NFL experience. I think you've been around for a while and you've been a part of some super successful teams and some teams that have won Super Bowls. My question to you is every offseason, people walk around the building, and I think this happens at every team in the NFL. They're like, oh, I feel it this year. I feel something. Something's different. You know, everybody's spidey senses are tingling that they're going to win the Super Bowl. At what point in the season do you know that you have something special? Do you know that a team is coming together and gelling and clicking the way that you need to to be that successful? I don't know if I can answer there's a a set time during the season I think if you're in the thick of it when December comes around then you feel like okay you know you can get on a run and you can make it um, I don't know that there's ever a particular time you say we got something special I think you always feel like that as a coach probably everybody feels like 32 people teams feel like that every year that they, they got a chance but I think it's when you're in, if you get to December and you're in the thick of it, that's when I think you start to feel it. I mean, it's kind of like when we were at Baltimore in 2012. Uh, I mean, we, Ray was out for 10 games. Suggs was out for six or eight games. I can't remember how many. I mean, it was like a roller coaster that year. I mean, we got hot, then we were cold, then we were hot, then we were cold. The bottom line was... And everybody said, well, you limped into the playoffs. Well, I don't care if I limped in or not, I'm in. <laughs> All I know is we got hot in the playoffs and beat four good teams. We beat Luck, Brady, Manning, and Kaepernick, and that's a pretty good run. And really, did I think we have something special? Yeah, after we beat New England, I thought we had something special. <laughs> so, you know, and so I, you know, I don't know if there's a time. It's just the bottom line is to get yourself into that position to, to make that run at the end. Can this defense be something special in 2019 for the Titans? I think we can. I, you know, again, we, you know, it's it's always Mike. You hope nobody gets hurt. It, there's always a lot of intangibles that, that come into play. You know, somebody gets hurt, you lose a couple guys here or there. Uh, you know, it's a team sport. I mean, we got to do our part on our side of the ball. The offense got to do their part. Special teams got to do their part. It's never ever going to be about. I mean. You look at New England. I mean, they've won they won some Super Bowls when the defense was not very good, and then when then then there's been time, teams that have had number one defense in the league and didn't make the playoffs. I mean, it's just it's a it's a team game. That's why everybody's got to be able to play it. Do I think we can be special? Yeah, but I there's probably been a, never been a year I didn't think that was the case. Well, it's funny because '99, the year we went to the Super Bowl here, we were actually 17th in the league in total defense, but plus 18 in turnover ratio and had over 50 sacks. Sure. So mm-hmm. it's like the numbers don't always – that was a good defense regardless of what the you know the overall numbers said. It just, they made plays at times where you had to make plays. And well, that's it is. And, and everybody kind of gets caught up in the stat thing anyhow. Sure. And it's like I, I've heard a couple times about, like, well, you know, we didn't have enough stats last – or sacks last year at 39. Well, you know, New England had 30. Right. I'd rather be where they were at the yeah, end of the year yeah. <laughs> than where we were. And then Kansas City had 52, but they were ranked 31st on defense. Well, I'd rather be ranked 8th on defense and have 39 sacks than be 31st on defense and get 52 sacks. But your, def- but your defense was a good defense. You got off the field. It helped you win games. That's really what defense is about. Bottom line is scoring. Right. The the bottom line, you can talk about total yards. You can talk about, I mean, yeah, you want to be off. The, you got to get off the field on third down and all that. The bottom line is, if you don't give up points, if you're good in the red zone and you don't give up points, you got a chance to be pretty good. 
You're so good to come in and talk to us. This was so much fun. This just appreciate you having me. Yeah, we just got to football the last five minutes. We <laughs> I know, but I could have talked about music and teaching and everything else it's, for two hours. It's good so. stuff. Dean yeah. Pease, thank you. Thank you. Titans defensive coordinator. For Amy Wells, I'm Mike Keith. We thank you for joining us for the OTP. Peace.